some of them think we went down. It was good stuff. Woo! All right. Um, appreciate that, you guys. Uh, just thank you, the Lord, that we can worship Him in all different ways and different styles. And uh, that was good. Good stuff. Appreciate that. Go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, we're going to be, it's page uh, 1169, if you're uh, using the Bible there in the chairs. So last week we, uh, we learned about God's amazing salvation that He's provided for us. And we found out that uh, from verses 1 through 14 that our salvation is something that God, He chose us in Christ before He ever created this world. And, and then as He chose us, He then adopted us into His family, so we become a child of God. And, and He was able to do that because He forgave our sins. So all the wrongs that we have done, all the times we've disobeyed Him and broke His laws, He's forgiven that. And then He's given us an inheritance, which we think about inheritance, we think about heaven, and that's true, but there's also aspects of that inheritance that we get to have and experience today. And then the fact, and the, to me, the, the coolest part of all this is that He personally, God the Holy Spirit, indwells us and He secures that salvation, that relationship with God. So it's never taken away, it's never gone, um, it's never lost, it's something that He secures with Himself, and it's awesome. And we talked about the fact that in response to that, that we should, um, for those who don't know Christ... They should let God be God and, and let Him deal with the whole thing of what salvation is and based on who He is to put their faith and their trust in Him. And then for us who have placed our faith and trust in Christ, that we should, be, we should let God be God and understand that when He says your sins are forgiven, it shouldn't be something that we continually look back on. See, what happens a lot of times with new believers and older believers is that this... this um, the salvation is so amazing it, that sometimes it's a little bit hard to believe, and so they, they would look back on their sins and they, they say, well, I, yeah, but all of this, how can He forgive all of this? And they're so focused on this that they miss the, the confidence and the, the relationship that God wants to have with them. And so we have to, to praise Him. Three times Paul says in the first few verses here that we're, this has happened for the praise of His glory, that we should be praising God not re continually reminding yourselves of our sin, but thanking God and praising God for the salvation that He gives us. So, um, what I want to do is every week I want to remind us what the purpose of this letter was. And Paul gives us the purpose at the end of chapter 3, actually. And what it is, is he, he wants us to grasp the, the, um, the fact that God has done abundantly above all that we could ask or think. This salvation and all that comes from it is amazing. It's beyond our wildest dreams, if you want to put it that way. No um, other God even uh, professes to do what our God has done for us. And so it becomes somewhat difficult, I think, for us to, to grasp that and to understand that. And so what we want to do as we go through this uh, book, this letter, is to ask God to give us that understanding to give us, uh, to be able to comprehend at least that which we can comprehend. Um, so you've heard this, the phrase, seeing is believing, right? Okay. 
two or three of you have seen it. For those who haven't uh, heard it before, seeing is believing. It's kind of like I'm, I'm a very skeptical person. So if somebody tells me they've done something, I don't necessarily believe it. But if I see that they can do it, then you know, I'm going to believe it. Seeing is believing. And so when it comes to our faith, and what we're going to learn about this morning, we're going to we're going to take a couple big chunks of Ephesians today. We're going to be in 15 through 23 of chapter 1, and then uh, 1 through 10 of, of chapter 2. So we're taking two big chunks this morning, but I, and I'm going, to, I'm going to couch it in this sense that seeing is believing. So yes, we can't comprehend everything that God has done for us. We can't comprehend God completely. And we don't want to be able to comprehend him because he's God. And we want something that we can't quite comprehend. But we can comprehend certain things. And in Paul's prayer, which is 15 to 23, he's asking God to, to be able to help us comprehend the fact that seeing is believing. When we see God at work in our lives, that causes us to have a greater confidence or a, an ability to believe in who God is. But it takes him working in our lives for us to have that. Second part, seeing is believing is this, and we're going to take a little bit of a different twist on 1 through 10 of chapter 2 and, and look at a couple of phrases that uh, Paul talks about in there, and that seeing is believing in a sense that when other people see God at work in our lives, it causes them to believe in Him. So seeing is believing, and these are two crucial parts of our relationship with God. It's two crucial parts of our uh, spiritual growth and so we're going to work through this thing um, this morning. And I'll just, uh, just give you a heads up. Um, Kim's got me on this diet where I've cut out all sugars. And, um, <laughs> well, are you happy because, man, you're fat? Or are you happy because I'm getting healthy? Oh, yeah, all right, high-five me. Woo, that's right, Kayla's doing a non-sugar thing. So I'm not doing sugars, I'm not doing grains, I'm doing the whole thing. And, it, and it's affected me. Uh, hopefully in a good way, but um, I'm not feeling quite normal. I'm not all hyped up on sugar and caffeine this morning, so I'm kind of like, you know, the songs were kind of like, you know, groovy, man, you know. <laughs> so I'm feeling a little bit of that this morning, um, so you have to, have to forgive me. Um, anyways, so let's look at, uh, look at this first section here. I'm not, we're going to break these passages up this morning. So this is Paul continuing on after talking about his amazing salvation. For this reason, I too, having so for this reason, for the fact that we have this amazing salvation, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and the proof of that, which by the way is your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while men making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of, your, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him. So we're going to stop there. We want to break this down. And so we see that, first of all, um, when you see Him in your life, you're going to believe Him. Okay, so seeing is believing. When you see God at work in your life, now you're going to believe His Word. Okay, you're going to believe who He is. You're going to see Him, uh, and, and probably a better way to say as I have it here in verse 1, Confidence in God comes from experiencing God. That's what verses 15 through 17 is basically saying. It's what Paul is praying for for us. So that we as Christians can have this confidence in God, confidence in the salvation that we have. 
And so he, he has three key words here in this prayer, the first part of his prayer. And the one is working backwards is knowledge. That word there is, uh, is pretty cool because, again, in the Greek, there's several different words for knowledge, and two of them we're going to talk about this morning. This one means that you have personal experiential knowledge of God. In other words, when, when God has said something in, his, in the Word, a promise, a principle, a truth, or whatever, when He is, um, so, uh, well, we'll get to an example of it in a second. So when God has said something in His Word, um, you've seen it happen in your life, and so now you've come to know God. Not just know about Him, but know Him personally, experientially, at work, in your life. Revelation, that's God's Word, so this is what, when the Bible talks about revelation, this is what it's talking about for us today, because we have his revelation written down. So it's not going to be God speaking to you like some voice. It's going to be God speaking to you through time spent in God's word and the Holy Spirit teaching us. So it's the truth about God, the truth about his ways, the truth about the promises in the Bible. And then wisdom is applying God's truth. So we read God's word. Um, we then take what God's Word says and we apply it to our lives. When we apply it to our lives, we see God interact with that and God work in that, and now we have experiential knowledge, know God experientially. So I'll give you an example. So you're familiar with Philippians 4. We talk about this a lot. It's one of my favorite verses to go to to explain this concept. Paul says in the Philippians, Be anxious for nothing, which we all laugh at, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. And again, with, when it comes to God, everything is over and above, right? Everything is abundantly beyond all we can ask or think. So it's, it surpasses all comprehension. We can't even really explain it. And that should be a good thing because it's coming from God. will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is going to be repute, there's any, any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Those are directly uh, contrary to being anxious. Okay? Dwelling and practicing is opposite of being anxious. These things, and the God of peace will be with you. So, there's truth in there. Right? There's revelation. There's revelation. There's things that are true. There's things that are honorable. There's things that are right. There are things that are pure. Excellent. Those are all found in the Bible. They're only found in the Bible. Okay? And so when we read God's Word, we learn all of these things. When we study God's Word, we find out about all these things. And so we're getting a revelation from God, from His Word, and the Holy Spirit's teaching us. And then we have a certain situation in life where we're anxious about it. And so then we say, okay, I'm going to apply this. So what are we going to apply? We're, we're going to apply the praying with thanksgiving, not just praying, Sometimes that's, a, that's us worrying. We just, oh God, help me, oh God, help me, oh God, help me, right? And so we need to put the thanksgiving in there, thanking God for who He is, thanking God for what He will do, thanking God for the answer to prayer, thanking God for the person that we're frustrated with, whatever the situation is, thanking Him, and then the peace of God will happen. That's the knowledge of God. That's the experiential knowledge of God. You want peace in your life over a situation? Then you have to apply the revelation of God's Word. And you have to, by the way, dwell. That means to plant yourself next to. It means to move in with, dwelling with. Practice means to do something over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. 
Practice makes perfect. And so, that's kind of an example of what we're talking about here. That confidence in God comes from experiencing God. And then he goes on, and he continues in his prayer. And he says, I pray, so now, so, so now you're experiencing God, so now he wants us to, to grow even more. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the passing greatness of his power toward us who believe. In other words, he's praying that our eyes would be opened, or our hearts would be opened, and we'll talk about what that means, so that we would know everything we just got done talking about in verses 4 through 14. Okay, so he kind of sums it up with three quick lines there, but he's really talking about uh, 4 through 14. And so when he talks about the heart, we think emotions, but actually in first century uh, Greek uh, culture, the heart was really what they thought of as the mind or the understanding. And so he's praying that that our minds, our ability to comprehend and understand these things would be enlightened. It'd be a, a light bulb would go on. We'd understand what he's talking about. And then the word know here is actually the word ido, and it means to know something is true through investigation. So this is kind of cool. So God, God's saying, um, if you, if you uh, take my revelation, if you read scripture, and you apply it, you'll experience me. When we experience him, that's like proof of an investigation. You know, we're kind of checking God out. Is he going to be faithful? Is he really going to give me peace here? I mean, really, is he going to give me peace? Whoa, man, I'm really sensing God giving me peace here. Now we've investigated him, and now we know him. It's, it's something true we know because we've investigated. We've checked it out. Here's the deal. A lot of us may even know a lot about Scripture, but we have a hard time applying it because we're afraid to actually take a step of faith. But everything with God is faith. Everything we do is about faith. Is God's way better than my way? I'm not sure. I know what my way has done for me, so I'm going to try God's way. We take a step of faith because we don't really know if he's going to give me peace. Right? But when we do it, all of a sudden, wow, I have peace. So I've checked it out. I've investigated it. And so now I, I know him in, in sense of investigation. So what am I, what am I going to comprehend and, and have certainty of? Because again, confidence in God comes from understanding salvation. Hope of his calling. Hope means certainty. It's based on the character of God. So we have certain hope, all right? Of his calling. What's his calling? That word means, uh, we talked about this a couple weeks ago in Romans chapter 8, uh, that this particular word means to get someone's attention. Hey, yo, over here. And so it's God getting our attention for salvation. So that we might know, that we might investigate and understand what it means that we, our salvation is secure in God because of who God is, not because of who I am. So it's our hope of his calling is the certainty of our salvation. The riches of his, of his inheritance, which, he, by the way, I just shortened up because it's really long how he phrased it, really is the abundance of what we have in salvation. And again, Paul is just giving us a summary statement here. We're going to find out more as we progress through Ephesians and as you study out the rest of Scripture, you're going to find out more about what this salvation really means and how this impacts your life. And then the greatness of His power. God's infinite power at our disposal. We're going to be able to comprehend and understand that I don't have to fear anything. Sadly, I do at times, but I don't have to. Why? Because God's infinite power is ready to go to work for me. 
in my life. And then he goes on to talk about what that looks like. He says, these, these three things we just got done talking about are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We could spend you know, a month going through that, uh, but let me just kind of you know, nail it down for you. The power that God demonstrated when he raised Jesus from the dead. Where was Jesus when he was dead? What we just sang about in that one song. He had gone to hell, which we're going to read about in Ephesians 4. He had gone to hell, and he... Re, not, yeah, gone to hell. We'll just say it that way, simply. He'd gone to hell, and he had released those who had placed their faith in him. So, that power is available to you and me. He's been put above all dominions and powers. What he means is that he is the God of all gods. He is the one true God. He, is, he has power over demons. He has power over angels. He has power over our lives. And he's been given to us, the church, to you and me together as the church, to be our authority to work in and through us to impact people for Christ, which is what we're going to be talking about next. There's a reason why He saved us. It wasn't just to release us from the sin that we were in, but it was to do some other things as well. And why is this important? Well, chapter 2, verses 1-10 through 10 is what we're going to go next. This was important because uh, of where we were prior to Christ. And so in chapter 2, uh, the focus is really on who we were in Christ, or who we were prior to Christ, and what God has done for us. But inside this, he gives us two um, for what's, you know, or so what, or why did he do it. And that's what we really want to focus on, but I want to take us through uh, the passage quickly until, before uh, we get there. So let's, uh, let's read... One through three. So this is who we were before Christ. Anybody remember what, the li- what life was like prior to coming to Christ? Nobody remembers. That's, that's just, okay, one person. Two, three, okay. So does anybody remember what life was like prior to coming to Christ? Okay, yeah. All right, <laughs> that was a better response. Maybe it looked something like this. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Wow. Basically what he's saying there is we were spiritually dead. Spiritually dead people cannot interact with a spiritually live being like God. There's just no way for that to happen. Just like a spiritually or I mean a physically dead person can't interact with somebody who is physically alive. 
And so we were spiritually dead. Why? Because we had sins and trespasses. We had, we had disobeyed God. We had gone against His rules, His laws. Because what, what were we doing? We were giving into our flesh. And what does the flesh mean? Flesh is basically, what that means in the Bible is, we're just doing life our way. We're, we're responding the way we think we should respond. We're, we're going after what we think we should, you know, what our desires are telling us. Uh, and sometimes those desires are good, but they're not biblically um, uh, accessed. You know, so we're just doing it. Why? Because we didn't know any better. It was just how the world lived. It's how we all lived. We were spiritually dead. And it's how Satan lived. He thinks he's God, and so he's doing life the way he wants to do it, and that's how we do it. And so we're, why? Well, now we're just children of wrath. We're going to be judged for that. We've broken the law, and we all get that. If somebody breaks the law, they should pay for it. We just don't like it when it happens to be us, right? But the truth is, that's where many of us in this room were, but then we place our faith in Christ, and maybe it's where some of you guys are still at. And so you have to have this conversation and, and find out what's going on. But then he goes on in verses 4 through 7. So we're spiritually dead because of our sin, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, laying there dead, unable to interact with God, what did God do? Made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. It's a gift. And raised us up with him. So not only did he save us, he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. Wow! That's abundantly beyond all anybody could ever ask or think, right? I mean, if God just said, Harold, listen, here's what I'm going to do. If you accept, my, uh, accept Christ as your Savior and Lord, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to let you sweep the floors of heaven. Which, by the way, would be easy because there's no dust in heaven. But that's besides the point. So I'd walk around with a broom all day. I'd be fine with that. But what he's saying is, just like God raised Jesus into heaven and seated Him in heaven, far above all rule and authority, He's done the same thing for each one of us who have placed our faith in Christ. We get to sit with Jesus in heaven. Not that we become God, not that we become Jesus, but whatever Jesus has, we get. Why? Because God does abundantly beyond all we could ask or think. He is a, a God who is rich in mercy, infinitely merciful. He's a God who has great love, infinite love for us. Even when we were dead, He had love for us. And He makes us alive. Why? Why would he do that? Well, obviously because he loves us. Right? We just learned that. Because he's a merciful God. We just learned that. But Paul goes on and talks about two, gives us two other reasons, and they're kind of, they blend together. And so, 7 through 10 says this. So that, so that's a purpose statement. That's okay, this is Why? So that in the ages to come, from this point, from the point that you accept Christ, through eternity. Okay, so for me, I accepted Christ when I was four years old. So I was a little kid, 
Don't remember too much that happened before when I was dead in my trespasses and sins. Don't really remember much about that time. Though I do know, actually I should put it as my rear end knows what life was like, okay? Because I got spanked quite a bit when I was a kid. Um, which is okay, because I turned out to be the fine specimen that I am today. <laughs> um, so, uh, and uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, so anyways, uh, but, I, but I do know, and we just, we get a little serious here, but I do know the struggle that comes with failing to always follow closely. And so some of the stuff of one through three that we just read, I was living that. And I still struggle with that, because we all do, right? We all want to go back, we think we know better than God, and so sometimes we just happen to respond without, I came to church this morning, and I prayed a few little bit when I came, you know, driving along um, on the way here, but when I got here, I sat down on my computer and I started just kind of working through my sermon again, blah, 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 and I'm like, dummy me, thinking I know better than God. So I stopped, came in here, spent some time in prayer, because I need to do it God's way, right? So I stopped, I said, okay, God, I got to, forgive me, I was trying to, you know, once again, I'm going off in the strength of Harold, um, and so went back into my office and continued on, but Anyways, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And so we were, we were spiritually dead. God made us spiritually alive in order to display us for others. That's what he's talking about here. He said that he might um, show his surpassing riches. The, wor- the word show there, um, I think the New Living Translation says that he might point, us, point to us as an example. Point to us as an example for who? Show, show us and point us as an example to who? Well, um, if salvation is from this point and for eternity, for the ages to come, then it's anybody that I interact with from this point until and as I go into heaven. Ephesians 3, Paul talks a little bit more about that. And he, has this, he says it in this way, that it's, it's to show God's manifold wisdom to the powers and dominions and authorities. In other words, to both the angelic and demonic world. That, that God's pointing to us and saying, see? See what kind of awesome God I am? See how, see how complete I am and, and how awesome I can be? You demons didn't believe me. Satan didn't believe me. But this, this is what I can do. I can take human Beings who are spiritually dead, and I could put life back into them and bring them to heaven with me. That's the kind of God I am. That's, that's what he's doing there. So that as, as we walk through life, and as we gain more confidence in who God is, and as we show other people how um, a person who follows God looks like and lives like, it's as if God is pointing See, that's an example right there of someone who knows me, someone who follows me. 
So our lives become a display. He really nails that down in, in verse 10. When he talks about, so he talks about good works. Good works, not for salvation, but because of salvation. So good works are involved, but not to get us salvation, but because we're saved. And so the good works, we are his workmanship created. This is a great phrase. The, the word workmanship there means, uh, we get our word poem from it. Um, and so it means fabric, it means product, it means something that somebody has done, carries with it the idea that it's something obviously awesome because God's doing it. And so some people say, well, it's like a masterpiece. And so like, like a masterpiece is, I was watching um, Antique Roadshow yesterday a little bit, and um, some guy had a, his great-great-grandfather, something like that, was in the um, um, Civil War, and he had a poncho still, a cloth poncho that somebody had made for his great-great-uncle or whatever it was. And uh, the thing went for like $3,000. You know, it was all tatted and ratted and, you know, you know it was just really ugly looking. Actually, it was pretty cool looking, but it was not in the greatest thing. But it was, it was a masterpiece in that sense because it had so much meaning to it and symbolism behind it. Well, God has created, that word created there is always associated with his creation, all the way back to him when he first created the world, and when he created a man in his image. And when in 2 Corinthians 5.17, where it says that God created us as a new image, or as a new creation. So there's always this idea of changing and making something new. So he's created us into a workmanship. He's created us into his masterpiece. And I don't know if you've ever seen um, some of these rugs and, and different things, but you know, on the back of them, it's all kind of looks ugly, right? My wife's better at explaining this than I am. But on the back of a, uh, some of these real nice rugs and stuff like that, that looks ugly back there. You know, that, you know, we do things a little bit better here. You know, that rug there actually doesn't look so bad. Um, but when we were used to make them by hand, it doesn't look that great. It's kind of like what our past was. Our past doesn't look really good. But when we put our faith in Christ and God takes it and flips it over and people can see something that's awesome, not because of anything we've done, but because of everything that Christ has done. And so, like you would take a masterpiece and put it on display and people would look at the masterpiece and say, man, that is a beautiful piece of artwork. Then what's the next question out of their mouth? Who painted that? Or who made that? Who drew that, right? You know, when people walk into my house and they see the incredible craftsmanship, they go, wow, who did that? It couldn't be you, Harold. Who did not? You know, they, they see things that my dad has made on the lathe and some of the woodwork he's made over the years, and they're like, wow, who did that? Well, my dad. That's what our lives are supposed to look like. God, has, God is using us to display us to the world around us, to the people in your life who don't know Christ, people in my life who don't know Christ. So they go, wow, how in the world did you do, how do you do that? Let me point you to Christ. Let me point you to the God who's changing me. It doesn't happen all at once. It changes over time. He's still making us in that sense. He's still uh, forming us. He's still making us look more and more like Jesus Christ. But God has, has saved us to display us. See, God doesn't need us to be complete. He didn't save us because there's something that He was lacking. 
He saved us because He knew it's the best thing for us. It's, it's what we need. For, for mankind to be restored to His Creator is what every person truly needs. It's what they're searching for. It's what they're longing for. It's what their heart desires. Some of us in this room, maybe the majority of us in this room, have already experienced that. But for some of us, we're, we're looking at our lives and, and we're not really confident in that and we're not really excited about it and we're, not, we're just kind of wondering all the time. And I think part of that is because we keep looking at the past. We keep looking at our sin. And say, how could he do that? How could he do that? Why would he do that? How could he do that? Why would he do that? <laughs> Stop! Come over here and say, so thankful that he did that. Can't believe that he did that. You're awesome, God, for doing that. Get our minds focused on who God is and what God has done. And then when he says, hey, listen, I want you to adjust and change some things in your life. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's the best way to do it, God. Yeah, no, it's the best way. Yeah, but I'm not really, yeah, it's the best way. And then we take a step of faith and we do it. And we go, oh, wow, that was the best way. How awesome was that? God, you're awesome. And the more we do that, the greater our confidence in him becomes. And the greater our confidence becomes, the greater the display is. The greater the masterpiece looks to people around us. God has done abundantly beyond all we could ask or think, but just because He's done that doesn't mean that we just stop trying to understand it and live by it. So what's our takeaways? Every week we want to do some takeaways, right? So the band, you guys can come on up and uh, let me work through some takeaways here with you as they do that. A little transiciones here happening. Uh, I'm fluent in Spanish too. Um, so the first takeaway is this. If you're here this morning and, and you haven't placed your faith in Christ, accept His gift of salvation. It, it's mind-boggling that a person wouldn't. God loves you. God cares for you. Hey, that way. Yeah, that's okay. You can walk in front of me, Logan. That's fine. Um, I appreciate the respect though. Um, God loves you, He cares about you, and it's simply, as I've put up there, as simple as ABCs, you know, to admit that you're a sinner and that you need a Savior. And then believe, that word means to entrust. Entrust yourselves into the hands of God by saying, God, I confess, I, I, I just want to let you know that I need you as my Savior and I'm placing my faith in Christ and Christ alone for my salvation. Please forgive me of my sins. It's simply that. And in that moment, when you make that choice, there's a spiritual transaction that happens that just all these different things we talked about in the first few verses happen in your life. So here's what I'd like to do this morning. And again, we've been talking a lot about salvation recently, and, and, I, and I think it's good. And, and, but let's just go ahead and close our eyes and, and bow our heads. And I just want to offer this. It, the, the prayer is in the notes there. If you have your notes and you need to pray that prayer, um, you know, feel free to, to do that, but sometimes it's helpful for having somebody to kind of help you with that and lead you in that. So if you're here this morning and, and you're like, yeah, I need to pray to accept Christ as my Lord and Savior and Harold, I'd like you to kind of help me with that. Uh, you know, where you're seated, I could just kind of lead you in a prayer and your heart to God's heart, you pray that prayer. Uh, if anybody would want to do that, feel free to raise your hand and, and I'll, I'll pray. Otherwise, there's, like I said, there's one in the notes there. You could pray that.
And um, if you do, I'd love to hear about it. Uh, shoot me an email. All right, go ahead and... Um, all right, let me go ahead and, and just pray because someone did raise their hand. So let me just do that, okay? Um, so it's just simply this. Just your heart to God's heart. Simply pray this. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I ask you to forgive me. And I'm trusting in Christ, in Christ alone, for my salvation. Thank you for my salvation. Thank you for making me a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you've prayed that prayer, God says he's forgiving your sins. God says he's placed his Holy Spirit in your life. He's who will go with you through this life, provide and, and take care of you, teach you from the Bible, and then when, you're, when you die physically, will be the one who guarantees your entrance into heaven. It's an awesome gift. It has some responsibility to it. And so, point two is this. Experience God in your life. To do that, as we've learned this morning, you've got to be in the Word, Revelation. Then you have to be applying the word, wisdom. And then you'll know God. You'll experientially know Him. You'll see Him personally at work in your life. And then lastly, third thing is, part of that spiritual growth is to display Him to others. Jesus came because God desired that no man would go unsaved. But it's our choice. So He doesn't force Himself on us. So he sends Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to draw people to Christ. We are now in Christ, so we live to draw people to Christ. We draw them to Christ through how we live and what we say. And so as we leave here this morning, as you head into your life this week, determine before God that you're going to display him by living for him based out of what you know about him. Caleb?